Girl, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, girl. Thank you so much. Girl, the last time we recorded on your birthday, the world immediately shut down. So let's see if you can make 2021 a little bit of an easier lift for the rest of us, huh? I can absolutely, without question or hesitation, guarantee. Without without any hesitation? All right. <laughs> hesitation. What's that hesitation? <laughs> Hello, girl. <laughs> Trisha. You guys, if you're looking for more Ellen and me and who isn't, find us on our Patreon. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes and our monthly trivia. You guys, we just did our last monthly trivia. Christopher, the narrator, voiceover announcer guy, was our special guest. Girl, how amazing was that? He's so amazing. He just fits into the family, like, honestly. I think I like him better than you, if I'm being honest. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I think I like him better than me. Yeah. Hey, that tracks. That's perfect. Fits right in. He jumped in. Did you see how excited everyone was to see him? Yeah. The chat, I, the chat up. went bananas. Everyone was like, Christopher, Christopher, Christopher. He just must have felt so loved, and we love him so much. It was honestly a blast. It flies by. We have the best time. Everyone has a beverage. People play at home. Our play-at-home option is even better than than it was before. We give away yeah. prizes. We have at-home winners and live in-person winners. Yeah, and we're going to keep bringing in special guests. Every month we're going to have somebody new, but I also really want to emphasize how awesome our bonus episodes are. Right now we're covering Snapped. I was editing one today. I was like, I think this might be some of our funniest material. If you guys have not heard our Snapped episodes, you really got to go and check them out. They are bananas. It's not us, my love. It's the episodes. These people <laughs> are crazy. It, the jokes write themselves. <laughs> we have very little work to do when it comes to snap. Disappeared is we get emotional and we very much care about these cases. Them bitches are crazy. I know. <laughs> it's really true, you guys. These people are trash. Also, join our Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, we go live. Tell them how fun that is. It is so fun. Every week we go live. And, you know, you never know what you're going to get. We're either going to be loving best yeah. friends or we're going to be mortal yeah. enemies going for the jugular straight through the phone. You never know. You, you got to get a ticket to the show to see, and the ticket is free. So come at 6 p.m. Eastern and just pop on by because you honestly never know. And... We drop all kinds of secrets on Friday Night Live because the two of us have the biggest mouth this side of the Mississippi, and we cannot keep our mouths closed. <laughs> so you never know when we're going to tell you some kind of secret that we promise each other we're not going to tell anyone else. <laughs> you guys should hear what I'm going to say tonight. You should hear what I'm going to say tonight. <laughs> all right, you guys. Disappeared Season 4, Episode 4. It's called Game over, girl. I'm not loving this title. I don't love the title either. I immediately saw it and I thought, video games, and I don't like this. Yes. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys, it tells the story of the disappearance of Charlie Allen Jr. 22-year-old college student and tennis buff Charlie Allen goes after life with gusto. He would eat, sleep, and breathe tennis. If he wanted to be good at something, he wanted to be the best. One afternoon, in typical Charlie fashion, he makes plans with a buddy to go to a party. Charlie was really excited about the chance to go talk to girls and just to have a good time. But he never shows up. On a chilly October night in 2007, Charlie Allen Jr. disappears. I was trying him on his phone, um, no response. The mystery deepens when his Facebook account is abruptly deleted, and he warns his family that people may be after him. He said, there are people after him, and he's not safe. 
police are baffled by the bizarre case. In my time here as a police officer, we've never encountered a story such as this. And his loved ones find themselves ricocheting between hope and despair. I just felt like, I'll call tomorrow. It would just be too unbearable to think otherwise. All right, you guys, look, I didn't direct this episode. I just call them like I see it. It's a chilly evening in October 2007 in southeastern Massachusetts. Some college-age hottie is running through the woods with a shirt off. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I see. I know. What do you have to say about I mean, I just, I'm just shaking my head right now. I, I feel like I just want to give you the floor for like 30 seconds. That way we just like don't have to broach that subject again. Let me just say this. This reenactment actor is obviously in very good shape. The poor guy, like, I I feel like he showed up on set and they're like, we're going to have to have you go ahead and take that shirt off and just jog around the place. And the guy's not going fast. Yeah. Like, he's just not jogging fast, this guy. Well, he's not wearing shoes, my love. He's... (laughs) I mean, yeah, give him a, give him an ounce of our of a break. You know, he's they're like, That's take true. off the, that shirt and the shoes. And he's like, yeah. wait, seriously? <laughs> yeah, the shoes too. Yeah, and like he's in the middle of the woods, which only means one thing. Why is he running, girl? He's running from Bigfoot. He's, uh, yeah. he's okay. running from Bigfoot, girl. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> it's a chilly evening in southeastern Massachusetts. In October 2007, 22-year-old UMass Dartmouth student Charlie Allen is running barefoot and shirtless along a wooded road a few miles from campus. The tennis junkie, who was once one of the world's top-ranked online gamers, is sure that someone is after him and that neither he nor his family is safe. This dash into the night will resonate with Charlie's loved ones as the moment everything went wrong. It's not my fault, you guys. I didn't ask him to take his shirt off. He just did it. So this guy who's running through the woods, his name is Charlie Allen Jr. He's in his senior year at UMass Dartmouth. No. (laughs) Did I get the college wrong? No, it's UMass Dartmouth. No, it's not. It's UMass Dartmouth. (laughs) Oh, my God, you guys. This episode takes place, like, in a Massachusetts town not far from Boston. Get ready. You guys are not ready? I just don't understand. You know what it's called. It's called fucking Dartmouth. (laughs) You're going to look me in the eye through this goddamn FaceTime, and you're going to call it Dartmouth? (laughs) Not on my watch, Sally. Girl, I lived in Dartmouth. I lived in Dartmouth for a year of my life. I know this town. So then say it right. Dartmouth. It's so funny that you are the mass hole <laughs> and you cannot speak in a proper Massachusetts accent. It's honestly one of the most disappointing things about you. I mean, I could go on. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this guy, Charlie Allen Jr., we learn a bit about this guy. Christopher tells us, quote, This tennis junkie who was once one of the world's top online gamers, this is why he's running. He's sure someone is after him and neither he nor his family is safe. And I just went, Christopher, girl! That's a lot of information to pack into one goddamn sentence, Christopher. But the whole thing, this guy was an online gamer. Can somebody explain that to me? Yeah, and apparently he was really good. Listen, I played Super Mario Brothers back in the day, but this kid plays a game called Half-Life. I don't know anything about that. I've never even heard of that. And he plays, like, around the country in, like, tournaments. I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, don't you just sit at home and play video games with other people who are sitting at home and playing video games? But apparently these kids go to tournaments. I don't understand. Like, people who play video games, go outside! Go outside! 
hide it. Like, I don't understand why you want to sit in a dark basement all day long when you could go outside. Yeah. So this is a big, this is a big part of the story. So we learn a few days before this weird happenstance with the no shirt and the Bigfoot happened. There's nothing weird about the no shirt. It's just the Bigfoot I don't like. It's just the Bigfoot I don't like, girl. Okay, honey. Okay. He had gone to- Happy birthday, by the way. It's going to be a weird one. Yeah. (laughs) He had gone to Providence, Rhode Island to see his sister, Brittany. Fifteen months apart, the two siblings are very close and see each other often. Charlie and I grew up together. We did everything together. We always had, like, that connection. We would always be there for each other, you know? We saw each other all the time. They catch up over lunch with their mother, Anne, who comes down to see her kids a couple of times a month from her home a little more than an hour and a half drive north in Haverhill, Massachusetts. They actually come from a very close family. That day, they had met up with their mom, who had driven some ways to come meet them. And they actually did that a lot, a couple times a month, which when you have adult kids, that, that's actually a lot of hangout time. I want that. I like. I love my daughter. I'm already imagining what we're going to do with her room when she moves out, but I want to see her all the time. Yeah, yeah, but you've been wanting that craft room. Totally. The craft <laughs> I really want, like, a Cosmo donut room. Yeah, oh, I meant craft service, honey, not crafts. I meant craft service. <laughs> or, like, craft macaroni and cheese room. You know right. what I mean? And this here is the mac and cheese room. Follow me this way. <laughs> I'm, like, every Saturday morning, Daisy, clean up the donut Cosmo. <clears throat> Your bedroom, <laughs> honey. Please, clean it up. What, Dad? Um. So... <laughs> We have Sister Brittany and we have Mama Anne. What? I didn't know if you wanted to touch on their summer home. I'm not there yet. So, Charlie. (laughs) You guys, she just shook her lion mane of a fucking head of hair at me. Like, you shut up. You shut up, you dirty gay. I have a lion mane of hair. Yeah, it was a compliment. You have something on your chin right there. Where? Do I? No, your other chin. Your other chin. (laughs) How dare? you how dare you how dare you we have a bunch of talking heads all saying the same thing he was a good kid he played sports he was good in school he got good grades without trying they had a summer home in gloucester (laughs) there's two cities in the world that i love number one gloucester number two barcelona Well, girl, you do know that they consider Barcelona is the Gloucester of southern Spain, girl. Did you not know that? I have heard that. It's on a couple postcards. And they do call Gloucester the Massachusetts Riviera. So it all makes sense. (laughs) It all makes sense. It's gorgeous this time of year. (laughs) In high school, Charlie becomes interested in online gaming, competitions in which multiple players compete over the internet. He becomes especially good at the game Half-Life. He was uh, very determined. Uh, He would put a lot of time and effort into anything to make himself the best. And he, he was the best. We're back to his high school days, and we're learning about that video Atari game or whatever he liked to play. <laughs> and they say that he, one of his best friends, Hot Anthony, is like, he was very determined. He put in a lot of energy to be the best, and he was the best. You guys, you're just using your thumbs. It's just thumbs. I know. He was world ranked. He was number one at one point. I don't know what that means, but it's got to be good. I mean, there's like a bajillion kids playing these online games, and he's the best at it. So for a later time, it should be noted that his screen name at this time in high school when he was a really famous gamer was Neo. And again, he was world ranked. Okay, you said that four times. I mean, I guess it's a big fucking deal. (laughs) I've never been world ranked at anything. (laughs) 
world's biggest goddamn mouth. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get up to number one or number two, but it's taking some time. You know what, though? At, like he did in high school for gaming, you are very determined and working very hard to be the best. You really are putting in all that effort, girl. I'm very proud of you. After graduating high school, Charlie enrolls at UMass Dartmouth. He majors in psychology and gets good grades. He even thinks about going on to medical school after graduation. Having conquered the online gaming world, Charlie shifts his focus to tennis when he gets to college. So after high school, he enrolls at UMass Dartmouth. Oh, Godness, UMass Dartmouth. It's Dartmouth. <laughs> chop, chop! I will roll you up in a large-sized chop faster than you can say Dunkin' Donuts in a brush and cream goddamn pie, you creep magnet. You got it? Say it right. Let's go. He's a major in psychology. He gets really good grades without even trying. Like, he's considering med school. He's doing really, really well. It says, having conquered the online gaming world, he shifts his focus to tennis. And I said, is there no drama club option? Is there no drama? No one wants to do Godspell? God damn it. Oh, my God, Godspell. Please, no one ever do Godspell again. We need to lock every score and libretto of Godspell in a trunk and throw the trunk in the ocean and let them never surface ever again. Please, can I get an amen? Please. Day by day. Absolutely not. Day by day. On the courts at UMass Dartmouth, Charlie meets fellow student Mason Vio. I had gone down there to practice. I had seen him. Um, he had asked me to hit, so we started hitting and we got it off from there. The two quickly bond over their mutual love of tennis. You guys, his friend Mason is here. And I, honest to God, was like, we're kind of getting the meet cute music. Like, you know how sometimes Disappeared gives us, like, when, like, two people get together, we get the meet cute music? And I honestly was like, are they gay together? Are they homosexuals? Honey, you're you're creating that narrative for your own <laughs> little spank bank tomorrow. No, that's <laughs> You are a pervert. Am I? You're a pervert. Yes. I calls them like I sees them. I am not a pervert. I have known you for most of your adult life. You're a dirty bird, okay? Yes, but you are the horniest person I know. You're the horniest person in my life. Find the lie. Tell me I'm wrong. You are the horniest person I've ever met. You sound better with your mouth closed. Okay. <laughs> you are hornier than any gay guy I've ever met. No, I just call you out on your shit, and you're not used to that. <laughs> I am very used to it. Tell me that you are not the Blanche Devereaux of this friendship. Yeah, I guess I am. It's pretty funny. <laughs> as long as you put me on par with Blanche Devereaux, then I... Branch. Then I... <laughs> going... The way you just said branch was so <laughs> funny. Branch. Branch. <laughs> I wrote, they just keep going on and on and on about, like, Mason and Charlie and the tennis and the hours that they spend. And this is after 10 minutes of the gaming and the running in the woods. And I I just wrote in huge letters. I don't know what's happening in this episode. I don't, I'm, like, looking around the office, like, I don't know what's happening. What is happening in this episode? At 2 o'clock on Thursday, October 11th, 2007, Charlie and Mason meet on the courts to practice. We had practiced for, um two, two and a half hours, just uh, playing a little bit and just doing some drills. Nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. We uh, had a great practice. So it's Thursday, October 11th, 2007. Charlie and Mason are meeting on the courts for tennis rehearsal. <laughs> and... 
They rehearse for two and a half hours. Mason says nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But so Charlie says that he'd been invited to a party that night by a girl on the, he, they say girls tennis team. I'm going to say the women's tennis team. I wrote women's. Thank you so much. God damn it. And I said he invites his boyfriend, Mason. They say they're going to have dinner together in the cafeteria, and then they go their separate ways to shower. And I was like, boring. And then they're going to meet back up at 8.30 to go to the party together. Right. Do you remember, a side note, how awesome our college cafeteria was? Yeah. Our college cafeteria was really fucking awesome. Like, I would stay there for hours. Like, you would eat, (laughs) then you'd grab an ice cream. Did you ever go to class? Then you'd like, no, but like at night, and then you'd just like sit, and someone else would come. You're like, oh, I'll stay for your dinner, too. And then, yeah, like, <laughs> then you would eat, then you would get, like, ice yes. cream. The soft serve was so good. I don't have that many memories of you from before we were friends in college, but I remember freshman year, you came from the gym, and I remember you were, like, still in your workout clothes, and you were standing in front of me in line, and I was like, that's Ellen. She's cool, but I hear she's mean. And then I tried to talk to you, and you were mean. That never happened. That happened in your mind, probably because I didn't laugh hard enough at your stupid jokes, which, spoiler <laughs> alert, you do to this day. So, the night of the party, it's 8 o'clock, and we're back in Providence with Charlie's sister, Brittany. And she's logging into Facebook because she wants to return, like, a Facebook message to her brother. And she, like, looks dead at the camera, and she goes, We talk to each other on Facebook every day. He loved Facebook. He loved Facebook. I know! He loved it. (laughs) Which, actually, Facebook was around back then, but it wasn't, like, as, like, lit as it was now. So the fact that he, like, did most of his correspondence especially like because Messenger wasn't a big thing on Facebook at the time. Yeah, he's like a computer tech guy. You know what I mean? Like he totally gets that stuff. Exactly. But she sees that like his Facebook has been deleted, which is weird. And he had like a really weird reaction. He was like, what? And I could just like hear over the phone him, like his heart dropping. It was like all of a sudden he got really scared. Brittany is confused when Charlie tells her he has no idea what happened to his Facebook page and that he didn't delete it. And then he just started panicking. He's talking really fast, just in a panic. What? I didn't delete it. I didn't delete it. And he starts to, like, panic. And then he tells his sister, Brittany, there are people after me. There are people after him. And he's not safe. And I'm not safe. It's like, you have to leave school right now. You have to go home, stay with dad. Dad's the only one who can protect you. There are really important people after me. I've sent some emails and and I'm not safe. Right before he hung up, he said, all the answers are in the periodic table of elements. Before he hangs up, he says, look girl, All you need to know is that all the answers are in the periodic table of elements. Don't you hear, like, the Twilight Zone music start as soon as she said that? And then they, like, zoomed in on the periodic table, and I was like, what? I know. I was like, barium? Barium? AU is copper. I never understood why AU is copper. I thought AU was Australia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I thought AU was the state of Austin, Texas. Right. (laughs) I thought AU was Arizona. So, you know what I mean? (laughs) Turns out, no. So, (laughs) Brittany calls their dad, Charles, and she was like, listen up, this is super weird. Charles, the dad then says, yeah, we got these weird messages from Charlie. It sounded like he was out of breath or he was running and he said he was going down south. And he goes, it was so concerning. And I was like, again, I was like, can I have a more panicky 
adjective <laughs> than concerning. I will never know how people are so level-headed. And why are we the way that we are? I don't know. I really don't know. But but thank God we fucking found each other, girl. Because <laughs> nobody else will love us the way that we are. No. <laughs> but he leaves, like, different voicemails for his dad. Like, the on the voicemail for his dad, he's saying, I'm going to go to Mexico or Florida. The voicemail for his mom, he's saying he's going to go to Texas. And, you know, and the mom says she also got other voicemails from him where it sounded like he was running. He says that he needed to be loved more. And he hangs up abruptly. And then everybody in the fucking world is trying to call this guy. And it's going right to voicemail. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, cut back to Mason, boyfriend Mason, standing in the parking lot at UMass Dartmouth waiting for Charlie. And he, Mason just looks at the TV and he's like, I just kind of thought he went to the party without me and I forgot know, me. I know. It was so- <laughs> was the plus one so he couldn't totally. go to the party like by himself because he was charlie's guest and he's like so uh so i went home in my mind mason is like is he mad that i didn't stay for the shower yeah. i don't should i have <laughs> should we have done that together i guess yeah no poor mason mason's still like yeah it seemed it seemed like a fun party <laughs> So they call the university and they let the university know that he's missing. So now we're at Sunday, October 14th in Dartmouth at 11 a.m. So <laughs> he has not been seen for three days. Yeah. Three days after Charlie is last seen, police are called to investigate something suspicious a homeowner found in his backyard. Detective Robert Levinson of the Dartmouth Police Department is the patrolman on duty. On Sunday, October 14th at around 11 o'clock in the morning, I was dispatched to a residence in town for some found property. Specifically, it was a backpack, a school-type backpack. Levinson looks through the backpack and finds a notebook. The name in the notebook was Charles Allen. So Officer Levinson calls the campus to be like, I found this kid's bag. And they're like, girl, that kid is missing. Yeah. They literally sent in the bloodhounds. Like, they sent bloodhounds <laughs> to this person's backyard and, like, the woods surround. Did we ever get a good search of that house now that I'm thinking about it? Yeah. Maybe I, we got to search that basement. Can we uh, dig up that basement? Yeah. I Whenever they say, like, the dogs come, I go, ooh. And then they go and they found nothing. I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Can I please get one episode where the bloodhounds lead us to the body? I'd like to see that happen one time. I know. One time. I'm not having so much faith in these amazing dogs that I no. love so much. Like, how not one time in all of these episodes they've been like, and the and the dogs found them. And the dogs found totally. them. <laughs> so now they know that he's missing. They're sort of like looking in the school parking lot and they find his car. His what? And they look his in the, what? His car. There we go. And they find that like he's been sleeping in his car. He's got an apartment in the like neighboring town of Nebedford, also known as New Bedford. Right. <laughs> Nebedford. But he's been sleeping in his car. And like this is where, for me, like this is where a lot of the mental illness stuff is coming yeah. in because he thinks people are chasing him. He doesn't feel safe. So like maybe he's sleeping in his car because he thinks that people are going to find him at his house or whatever. It's very sad. And the mom says that like as soon as they found his car, the mom knew that this was bad, bad, bad because like where would he be without his fucking car? Right. And then this is where it takes such a crazy turn. So Officer Levinson is talking with another police officer and he's like he's like there's this case and this kid he was running with no shirt and then the other police officer goes no shirt that's so weird young guy there was actually a break in not too far from there it sounds like the same guy Monday October 15th the day after the car and backpack are discovered Officer Levinson is talking about the case with a fellow cop 
when he describes Charlie. His colleague tells him that the college student sounds just like a suspect in another case. There had actually been a housebreak um, not too far away from the campus. In the early morning hours of Friday, October 12th, a little more than six hours after Brittany last spoke to her brother, Jean Boudreau wakes to find someone with no shirt on climbing through her second floor bedroom window. You guys, get ready. You're going to want to pull over for this. So they go and they investigate this break-in from a woman named Jean Boudreau. <laughs> you guys, I know this sounds terrifying. It's not. Yeah. It's not. I got to say, maybe the only person in this episode hornier than Ellen is this woman, Jean. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So, She's the only person hornier than Ellen in this whole episode. Let me lay it out. So basically, this is what happened. It is It is the most benign break-in you'll ever hear in your life. She basically- or, I thought you were going to say bananas. It's also bananas. No, but like nothing bad happens. Break-in, you think like somebody is like, you know, hurt or something. She wakes up. She's in her house. And this kid with no shirt goes, oh, sh- I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just looking for my friend Mason. And she goes, he was very polite. <laughs> you guys, I don't know what you're talking about. How are you not jumping up? And like, imagine you wake up and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Intruder, intruder. You're a woman alone in your house. Yeah. There's a guy standing over you with no shirt on. How is this not like a life-changing moment in your life? And then she says he is really polite, just looking for his friend Mason. He calls her ma'am, and he goes, oh, sorry, I was just leaving. This hot, shirtless kid is, like, crawling back out through the window from which he had just come in. And I got to tell you, you guys, Gene does not want him to go. Gene did not want the hot, shirtless guy to leave. Gene is not phased. She's intrigued. When she awoke, she had a brief conversation with this gentleman who had entered her window. And he says, oh, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, I'm just leaving. He was looking for his friend Mason, and then he just proceeded to go out the window. He was actually very polite. Levinson is sure it's Charlie. The physical description is a match, and he has already learned that Charlie has a friend named Mason. Listen, she came to play with this interview look. Let me tell you, the hair cloffed, the clothes pristine, the makeup iridescent. She is living her best life for this goddamn interview, okay? Jean's getting some dates from this. That picture is going on her goddamn Bumble profile. (laughs) Well, I kind of feel like she's hoping the shirtless guy that came in through the window is going to see this, and she's like, leaving the window open tonight, girl. Leaving it open. Yeah. I'm just saying right now, if this had happened at Ellen's house, he'd be living there at this point. He'd have moved in later that day, and none of this would have happened. Honestly, he's probably too stable for me. You guys have met my super horny friend, Ellen, right? Okay, are you done? <laughs> you know my mother listens to this podcast. <laughs> oh, my stars. So, does this behavior sound manic? It sure does. I mean, I guess manic is one word. It sounds like a home invasion. I know you're sick of it. I can see on your face that you want to move on. No! This guy... As benign as it was, he broke into her house half naked. I would be terrified for the rest of my life. But he didn't know where. He was looking for Mason. First of all, it should be said, Mason lived in towns over. He lived half an hour away. He was just went in a house looking. And she she knew his name. She said he said he was looking for Mason. So yeah. was he lost? He knew he was supposed to meet Mason that night to go to the party. He's not well. Like, yes, it's scary. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's illegal. But also, like, it's scary to think of this, like, poor, 
poor boy's state of mind. In another state, he would have gotten shot. You know what I mean? It's a terrifying thing to have a half-naked man break into your house. Is all I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you were one notch less horny all the time, you'd agree. Me and Gene Bedreau, you know? Gene, <laughs> I'm not bothered because Gene wasn't bothered. If Gene was bothered, you know I'd be right next to her pissing up a storm. Gene was the opposite of bothered, sis. Yeah. Gene, Gene it was like a, one of the best mornings of Gene's life, if you ask me. Oh, poor Gene. Gene, we love you. Come be on the podcast. <laughs> Charlie was not a known criminal. You know, this wasn't his normal behavior to break into someone's house. But police learned something about Charlie that they think may explain this behavior. The father told me that his son was bipolar and uh, manic depressive, and he had acted um, irrational at times, and he might not have been taking his medication as he was supposed to. So it would all make sense that he was in some type of a manic state, and he was acting irrational. So we learned that it's like when the family finds out about this, this is when they tell the cop that, oh, by the way, he's bipolar and manic depressive. And I just went, did you want to maybe tell them that at the beginning of the investigation? You know what I mean? Maybe you don't save that until he nicely and kindly breaks into the lady's house half naked. Maybe that's the first thing you tell the cops. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, What do I know? You okay? I guess. I don't know. That's a real relative question. I apologize. That was (laughs) obtuse. I need to be more specific. (laughs) Because I'm just in that world where, like, it all makes sense to me. You know what I mean? And I feel like everyone else is crazy. Like, Gene... You should be traumatized, honey. You should be fucking traumatized by this. Not putting on your best perfume and getting that perm redid to tell the story and to get all your friends to come over for the Cosmo party to watch the episode. It's a it was a home invasion. <laughs> okay. Is there okay. more? <laughs> Poor Jennifer, our new editor, is like, what have I gotten yeah, myself into? She just stares. She just is with the raw footage, and she, there's just like a meme of her like scratching her head. She's like, I don't know how to make sense. Know, she, she goes missing on purpose. She's just like. <laughs> Jennifer, by the way, her career is so extensive, and we do not deserve her, and we need to behave or we're going to lose her. Like we've lost every other editor who just is sick of our shit. That's true. <laughs> Jennifer, don't leave. Jennifer, us. I have abandonment issues as it is, so if you could just stick around, unlike Henry and Bob, that would be amazing. <laughs> Just two more men that have left you, girl. Yeah. Add it to the goddamn list. (laughs) And so the thing is, like, we learned that he was diagnosed with manic depressive disorder in high school and that he really did suffer from major mood swings. That he would go from being, like, really sullen to being really, like, talkative and hyperactive and very outgoing. And I have people in my life that are very close to me that have this same thing, that, like, he took his medication, he was in therapy, and he was doing really well. But then, like, you know in recent years had stopped taking the medication because he, like, just didn't want to be medicated anymore. Right. So there is something that his sister said that's really interesting. I actually have yeah. have a friend who's echoed these same sentiments with certain kind of medications. She oh, may- they've echoed them? What is wrong with what I said? What is wrong with what I said? <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, get wrecked. Okay. Sometimes you pluck the weirdest thing to make fun of me about, and, and it's like, it's like you know when you're when you're walking, like, and then you get on a people walker, and then you go back on and you're like that, and you fall a little? You, ju- you, you get me off my people walker at a weird spot. Uh, those uh, sounds, I got to tell you, those, uh, is kind of what I'm after. You know what I mean? That's that's the reward. Yeah, I mean, okay, you you win. 
what do you win? It's like another 40 seconds of really funny content. I mean, really, that's, sure. that's the prize. I, just, I mean, like, don't worry so much about me and, like, worry okay. more about your hair or your, okay. your four shirts. <laughs> go press your goddamn four T-shirts. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Okay, take it. I will not interrupt you. No, it's just that she was saying these medications were dulling his senses. They were making him non-emotional. Yeah. He wasn't feeling. And she had said something about feeling, like, angry or sad. And he was like, I wish I felt any of those things. Like, I've never been on said medications, but I do understand they, they change your brain chemistry, right? So everything kind of feels like a wash. And he was feeling that. He was feeling that haze. And I just, I do know people that have said those same things. Yeah. What? I, I, I didn't want to say echo those sentiments again, so I wanted to put <laughs> okay. it in, in simpler English for you. But the thing is, like, this is where we really start to see the family's denial. Ugh. Like, they don't even like to use the word mental illness. People uh, don't understand, you know, mental illness, where people call mental illness. And once they hear that label, it's like, Oh, he probably just ran away, or he's probably schizophrenic. He has no idea. He's just crazy. I think he's more sane than anyone I've ever met. Even when Charlie was manic, he always made sense. He never, he never lost his touch with reality. You know, and like, and granted, this was a long time ago that this episode was made, so maybe they've changed their mind or whatever, but like, they are very reluctant to believe anything other than exactly what he said in his messages. Yeah. That like, people were after him, people were chasing him, nobody is safe, the answer is at the periodic table of elements. Again, I say barium, what's barium gonna tell me? Yeah. So Lead? We had this conversation off mic, and I don't want this to seem like we are blaming this family. Obviously, this family has been through trauma and problems. But Mama Anne says one of the like the most disconnected things in the whole episode. She says, even when he was manic, he made sense and never lost touch with reality. Well, he did, sis, because yeah. he he wasn't well. Yeah, the one thing that she did say though was that like when he would have manic like manic episodes, it was never like a break. It was never like he was fine and then he wasn't. That there would be like a slow build. And that did stay with me. Like I you know, I can say we've covered enough of these like episodes like this that it's like I don't think bad people were after him. I don't think the answers are in the periodic table of elements. What I think is maybe happening is that if the family's in denial that he even is struggling with mental illness at all they may not know that maybe eventually that gradual period like goes away that maybe it can just shift like that and they just don't know that because they are in denial of it at all you know i thought that that was a really good point i actually that's actually called i looked it up it's called the prodome phase so it's kind of the period where they slowly start to develop psychotic symptoms like hallucinations delusions but it is a build-up so maybe that prodome phase was longer before and maybe this was just a snap, you know? And it cuts back to Mason because, like, you know, the mom is saying, like, he doesn't just snap. And Mason, his friend who was with him, you know, like, the day that this all happened, Mason's like, you know, come to think of it, I do remember something strange happening. Right. We were having dinner at the dining hall that night. And we were having pizza, and he reached over to my plate and, like, took a, a slice of my pizza and ate it. And I went, Mason, girl, he thought you guys were on a date. That's how, that's how, that's <laughs> no, how I can explain it. But then, like, Mason's like, dude, you're eating my pizza. And he goes, oh, sorry, I thought that was my pizza. <laughs> and, like, they just sort of laughed it off. But, like, that might be a slight hallucination. 
You know? A million percent. Or, like, Charlie was more comfortable with Mason than, like, Mason realized. You know what I mean? I mean, I would take, I would literally take food out of your mouth. Like, I, I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I we're probably too close, you know? I love that it was, like, at the moment of him taking the pizza that he was like, you know what? I'm going to take my own shower. Yeah. I'm going to take my, I'm going to go, I'm going to go home and have my own shower, I maybe, guess. Maybe we're too close. So then, yeah. we're just going to tick up the bazaar here. <laughs> just, just a, just a. Up in the bazaar. (laughs) So before he went missing, he legally changed his name to Neo Babson Maximus. I wrote, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know? One day I got home from work and uh, he's like, check this out. I changed my name and he took out his license and he showed it to me and it said Neo Babson Maximus. I just laughed. I was like, you serious? What the hell is this? I just kind of like brushed it aside. Like, what? I'm still calling you Charlie. I'm not calling you Neo in the public. Like, he literally changed his name. And they say that like Neo comes from the Matrix, which even I knew. He says Maximus comes from Gladiator. And Babson's a family name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to need to round. You know what? I've always liked Babson. Write down Babson. Oh, just yeah. make Babson. I mean, I will say, though, that this does lend, like, credence to the family's theory that, like, maybe he did go missing on purpose. Like, if you legally change your name and then vanish, it's going to make it exponentially fucking harder to find you. Yeah. You know? So they widen the search, and they go into the woods, and they find his sneakers along the road from the house that he broke into. Remember the horny woman in the house? (laughs) Do I remember? They call him the shirtless intruder, and I said, tell me a little more about the shirtless intruder. Yeah, we need to stop making people's, like, criminals' names sexy. Stop making them sexy. Like, the Night Stalker. So, now, in case you're wondering, let's just do, like, a mental mental checklist. He's got no shirt and... No shoes. So, like, this is what everybody's saying. It's October. He's been, like, he was running through the woods, obviously, from Bigfoot. Like, whatever hiding place he found from Bigfoot, can he really, like, survive in the woods? No shoes, no shirt. He's got a pair of, like, warm-up pants, they call, whatever the fuck those are. That's all he's got on. And he's, like, out there. I felt cold just thinking about that when they said it. Yeah, so I looked up the weather from 2007 in that area, and it was a low of 20 and a high of 38 that year. You would die one night. One night, no shirt, no shoes. But then again, the dad, Charles, says if anyone knew how to survive in the woods, it would be Charlie. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. He doesn't have a shirt and he doesn't have shoes. No, he wouldn't survive. And so the police are searching his computer. And remember, he's like the computer guy. Right. He was like a famous online gamer guy. And they're saying they don't find anything out of the ordinary. Charlie's mother is more concerned with what police didn't find on his computer. Charlie had told his sister he was in trouble because he had sent some emails to important people. But those emails are nowhere to be found. In fact, all of Charlie's recent emails are missing. There were no emails before he went missing. There were no emails from October 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. But I just thought it was really strange. I mean, they make a big deal out of, like, quote, all of his emails are missing. And the mom was like, in the entire week before he vanished, all the emails he either sent or received are gone. But they don't really give us information about that. Like, did he not send or receive any emails in that time? Or were they literally, like, erased? No, I think it seemed like he had wiped his computer. That's what it, that's what it seemed like. But, I mean, we do know that there's ways to, like, follow all the... Nothing is ever really erased from the internet, right? Yeah. But it does seem like that. And then his mom says... he didn't 
didn't send anything October 10th, October 9th, October 8th, <laughs> October 7th, October 6th, 5th, or 5th. The mom of them all really does have the deepest Sharon Bag of Bones accent, for sure. She does. <laughs> So this is like, as we're getting towards the end of the episode, this is where we start to get the shit that I kind of love, where we get like the sightings, are they real or are they not, you know? And so like a few weeks later, a witness comes forward, this guy, Jim Costa, and he's an electric company troubleshooter. And I said, electric company troubleshooter is a job? Yeah. What does that mean, girl? What are, they, what are you troubleshooting out there, Jim Costa? Jim Costa is an electric company troubleshooter. On a Saturday morning in October 2007, he leaves early for work. Driving down Cross Road, I did notice a young man, uh, no shirt on, and uh, he looked rather disheveled. He uh, looked shaken. He didn't look that good. And I saw that young man walking towards a truck, maybe to ask for help, or maybe he was slept in that truck. I didn't know. And he saw a young man with no shirt looking disheveled, and he sees him walking towards a truck. Like, so he's, like, walking towards, a, like, a trucker to, like, ask for help yeah. or whatever. And he says he's not sure which Saturday. He's like, it's either the Saturday that I later learned this kid went missing or it was the Saturday after. I don't really know. <laughs> Jim Costa is me. I'd be like, it was a, it was a Saturday. Was it a Tuesday? <laughs> It was cold out, but it was a little hot, too. And I, like, I am Jim Costa. I can't get mad at him. But he says that, like, you know, this this place where he saw this kid who matches Charlie's description is right near the interstate, you yeah. know? And, and, like, this is one of those theories that makes sense to me. That, like, if he did have some sort of psychotic break and he either didn't know who he was or did and thought that by leaving he could save his family and himself... I mean, although I will say, like, what kind of trucker is going to pick up a kid with no shirt and no shoes? I mean, a murdery one? I don't know. I guess. But, I mean, it makes sense that, like, if this guy vanished without a trace, maybe he did get into a truck and he was just taken off to some far, you know, some far-flung city yeah. where he either doesn't know who he is or is having a mental health crisis and is, like, staying quiet to keep his family safe. Or maybe he was taken away and killed by someone or somewhere else or at some other time. That, to me, like, not finding any other evidence of him, this makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, there's one other thing that's really, really crazy. So this whole time, you know, all of his friends, everyone's still calling his phone and leaving voicemails. Yes. Can I just say one thing about that? Yeah. Like, his friend Anthony is saying, I called him for five months and, like, I would leave him a voicemail every day for about five or six months i call him every single day multiple times i leave him like voicemails and stuff to the point where you couldn't leave him voicemails anymore the phone would just keep ringing or it would just hang up on you and i was thinking doesn't that mean his phone is still active yeah because if the phone is dead then it would just go straight to voicemail right i thought that was confusing too i didn't know if he misspoke because i did look this up there was no cell phone activity on his phone so he wasn't making outgoing calls i think he might have misspoke but i'm like even if it's two days later and the phone rings and yeah. rings and rings and then you leave a voicemail like that means the phone is being charged like somebody's got the phone and it's being charged that was confusing to me too just more to the mystery yeah so the 
the family hires P.I. John Lassis. He is out of central fucking casting. Yeah, and he's really helpful because he gives us the options of what could have happened. He could have died by suicide, had foul play, or he's still alive. Thank you so much. But the thing that this guy does do that is really valuable is that he organizes this enormous search. So, you know, the cops that sort of kind of like search the area around UMass Dartmouth. Good job. Thank you so much. He gets like hundreds of people with ATVs, helicopters, cadaver dogs, a search that like the magnitude had not been done before for this case. And he says he thinks it was the largest ever in New England history. I'm like, we're going to have to look at more yeah. of Marie's family and get <laughs> yeah. some numbers on their search efforts. But, you know, he's saying that, like, if he's in these woods, dead or alive, we're going to find him. Right. And they search the woods in a grid, like, fine-tooth comb. There's this one moment where they find bones, and they end up being animal bones. But they don't find him, and I think that's kind of significant. Like, yeah. this episode opens with him running shirtless through the woods from Bigfoot. But he, like, obviously got out of the woods because they didn't find him. And they would have found him. Or they would have found some remains of him. So, fast forward, you guys, December 2009 to 4 a.m. in Nebedford, Mass. It's two years later. Yeah. Two years later. We meet a guy named Stephen yeah. Kelly. At 4 a.m., there's a knock on his door. Who answers the door at 4 in the morning? Would you ever answer the door at 4 in the morning? First of all, I sleep like the dead. I wouldn't even hear the door at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. I sleep like a dead person. So, absolutely not. Storm. Like alarms. I'm sleep. If, if, if my house is on fire, I'm sleeping through it because I'm not hearing the alarm. So someday I'm gonna sleep at your house, and I'm gonna have to come in. And I'll be like, El, El, yeah. El. <laughs> is she fucking dead? Did she fucking die? <laughs> I'm Instagramming it. I'm like, you guys. It's true. I wouldn't hear it. I go live. It's about four o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was sleeping. Stephen Kelly and his wife are asleep in bed in their New Bedford, Massachusetts home, 11 miles from the UMass Dartmouth campus. I heard the, the door knock and knock. So, you know, I ran to the door and I opened the door and there was a, you know, a young man standing at the door. Wasn't dressed for the weather. He shouldn't have been outside at four o'clock in the morning. He says that he opens the door and there's a kid dressed not warm enough at all. Like, he doesn't say he's shirtless, but he's not dressed in proper clothes. I mean, come on. It's like, he would be shirtless two years later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he opens the door, and this kid says he needed help getting back to Southeastern Massachusetts University. He said he needed help getting back to SMU. SMU stands for Southeastern Massachusetts University, what UMass Dartmouth was called until 1991. My wife was... Um, panicking. She thought that it was maybe going to be like home invasion if I went outside. So we shut the door and called the police. But by the time police get there, the young man is nowhere to be found. So they call the police. The guy was already gone. They had no sign of him. So the wife mentions it to a friend. And then that friend was like, actually, this sounds like that missing kid from Dartmouth for a couple years ago. So they cross-referenced yeah. Stephen Kelly, the you know, the guy, the homeowner, cross-references it and goes, that was him who was at my door. I have so much to say about this. Because it's like, number one, who answers the door at four in the morning? Also, this happened in 2009. Right. It had been called UMass Dartmouth since 1991. That's almost 30 years, yeah. you know? So for this kid to be calling it SMU is very weird. But also, like, what kind of kid knocks on the door of a house at four in the morning asking for a ride? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean... 
someone who's not well, you know? I guess. I mean, it feels like a break-in gone really badly. Like, this guy really did want to break into the house, and the guy opened the door, and he's like, oh, I no, I didn't expect him to answer. I don't feel like robbing these people tonight. You know what I mean? Oh, you guys seem nice. So, so girl, so tell me, like, is there an update? Did you find anything on this? You know, so the only update that I found, there was a, a partial skull was found on Little Beach on Horseneck Road, January 3rd, 2021. A passerby. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a sizable fragment of an aged human skull. There was a huge press release about it from the Dartmouth police. There have been a couple missing people. There was a, a fishermen lost at sea that it could have been but they are not you know they do have some hope that it's charlie allen this is still an open case there are updates from 2019 2020 so if you do have any information anything regarding charlie allen or his other name that he goes by which is neo babson maximus if you could call the dartmouth police department at 508-910-1775 and if you are suffering at all with your mental health, please reach out to 1-800-662-HELP. That's 4357. So with that, say something funny. How does it feel to be my horniest friend? (laughs) You're a problematic human being. You're an overall problematic human being. Bow, 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 bow. Disappeared season four, episode four. Look, if you want more of us, you guys check out our bonus episodes on Patreon. Right now we're doing Snapped. I gotta tell you, they're really, really funny. I I laugh out loud when I work on them. I can't believe how funny they are. I want everyone to hear them. I think you're gonna love them. They're very different. It's different for us to talk about murder, girl. It's like a whole different thing. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. But so you get three of those every month. You get our monthly trivia where we're bringing in special guests. You can also get ad-free versions of these episodes. Join the Facebook group. Come find your your true crime fam, you guys. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Yeah, and you can find Patrick at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram. I don't why do you have that stupid underscore? Chrissy really wants me to get rid of it. Chrissy's on a mission to get rid of the underscore. She wants to find the Patrick Hines and get it for me. So I have been <laughs> saying that for years, but now when Chrissy yeah. does it, it's like important. I think she's got the power to do it. If you can get it done, great. If you can't, I gotta ask my friend Chrissy. Uh, I mean, on honestly. That tracks. Or you can find me on my socials at Ellen Marsh, and you can find me on TikTok at Ellen Marie Marsh. I don't want to hear it. Zip your lip. <laughs> I love you. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Girl, one year ago, right now, you and I were getting ready to go out for dinner, and the world was on fire, and we didn't even really know it. I know. That was crazy night. I will never, ever forget that birthday, and it was just you and me. And it was one year ago, right this moment. I Bananas. Know. That's so crazy. Happy birthday. The world is about to reopen. I feel like good things are happening, you guys. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. I have so many chins. Have I mentioned the Cosmo Donut Room? <laughs> Honestly, I fucking love donuts. Anyway, so <laughs> do you remember that Guffman, um, that Guffman quote where they he said, you know, you know that saying that uh, that if you don't like the weather in Blaine, wait five minutes, and uh, with hard work and determination, we're hoping to get that down to like three or four. Do you remember? That? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I freaking love that movie. You're the Rose, so there you go. You know what? That's fine. You can't hurt me with that anymore. When Steve, when I told Steve I thought I was Dorothy, and he literally spit food out of his mouth laughing so hard and told me that I was the Rose, I've accepted it. You are the Rose. 
I also love in this section the push-ups that the reenactment actor is being forced to do. They're like, totally. I know we had you running through the streets with no shirt and no shoes on earlier. Yeah. Great. You did great at that. Now can you do 600 push-ups till we sure. get the shot? <laughs> Robert Levinson says, on October 11th, <laughs> about 11 o'clock in the morning, I was dispatched for foul property. Thank you. Please give him the due respect. We're Okay, we're going to streamline. All right, here we go. It's Thursday, October 11th, 2006. Branch. <laughs> we're at... D- it's just... We've just devolved into a series of, like, guttural animal sounds, and we just hope we... Is anyone still listening? Is anyone still listening? 